Um, yeah, I mean, with Krejci, I think one of the topics that kind of came up, and I tweeted about it a little bit yesterday, uh, is, you know, is his number going, going to be retired? And then sort of secondary to that, how many numbers from this era are going to be retired? Uh, I think we can all agree that 33 for Chara and 37 from Bergeron are obvious. Um, to me, Krejci is also a pretty obvious yes, but there was a little more pushback than I kind of anticipated. Not, not that it was like overwhelming or anything. I think the vast majority of Bruins fans probably think 46 should be retired and, um, you know, 63 will be retired from Marshand when that time comes as well. But um, I'm just curious what you guys think. Like, is there any hesitation or is it, is it clear for you? Like, of course, Krejci's going to the rafters. Uh, I, I think he needs to go in the rafters. I, he's, I think he's misunderstood in, in terms of different parts of his career. I'll get into why he, you know, he should, it, it has, a lot to do with it. He's among the top five to 10 Bruins in most categories, including uh, the important stuff, which has to do with playoffs and game sevens um, and the way he's contributed in the, in the postseason and, and everything from the number of games he's played to the number of points he had to when he did it, um, how he did it. And I've, I've always thought he was underappreciated and I for years have been arguing with people I know and who I don't know about uh, that say, oh, you know, Krejci, we don't trade Krejci or find a, find a younger center, whatever. I just don't think people understand his style necessarily and how he had kind of just had this, I would say, vision, like eyes on the back of his head that I'd watch him from when he first started to to now and go, I have no idea how he knew that guy was there. I have no idea how he found that seam, how, first of all, he he knew where everybody was, and second of all, how he was able to do it in the second place. Um, so he he has, if you're not, if you're a casual hockey fan, some of the nuances of the way he plays and what makes him so good kind of tended to be lost on people. Uh, and his skill set was, a lot of it was mental. Um, and he was never flashy and he's a quiet person in general out in the real world. He's quiet, doesn't like to talk, definitely doesn't like to talk about himself. Uh, so he's kind of one of those under the radar players who has put up all of these stats, but never uh, got necessarily the accolades he maybe should have. And I, I think he's good enough to be, have his number retired in Boston. Yeah. He's not a hockey hall of famer, but he's, without a doubt, a Boston Bruins Hall of Famer. Uh, Bridget, you mentioned he's top 10 in a lot of uh, franchise records. Um, I know he's towards the top in playoff points, playoff games played, um, led the league in scoring uh, in 2011 and 2013 in the postseason. As I mentioned, he uh, first and foremost, he's a champion, right? And there's only so many Bruins in the team's history that can say that. And and I just think that he stepped up big time. Um, I mean, you think about you think about how quickly he developed, right? I mean, he his first year in the NHL, he may have he may have had his NHL debut in the 06, 07 season, maybe. Like maybe they called him up for a game, but I'd have to check. But by all he accounts, played, he, 
He played six games that year. Oh, six, oh, seven. He did. Okay. Yeah. I th- okay. That makes sense. But, um, doesn't qualify him as a rookie though, right? His rookie year was right. the following season. And yeah. even that year, he probably played in the seventies. Maybe does it say Scott? Yeah, 56, 56 games in 06 in 07, 08. So, so he, he went from playing 56 games in 07, 08. And remember that was when Bergeron went down in the first week of the season. And that's when Mark Savard was your number one center with Lucic and, and Kessel on that first line. Um, so he went from playing 56 games that year, uh, had a lot of chemistry with Marco Sturm to three years later being a first line center for a cup winning team. And as I mentioned earlier, that was the year where Mark Savard, um, he went down, he went down. Uh, he had the concussion from Matt cook the year prior. David Krejci assumed the number one center position and they won a Stanley cup. And you know, the Bruins, it says a lot, right? Cause the Bruins the year before, um, David Krejci goes down in the Philadelphia series in game four and the Bruins end up losing the next four games and losing the series and losing and their season ends. Um, so it shows you how important Krejci was to that team's success. And then the following year, you don't have Mark Savard, but you want to stay in the cup. And that's not to discredit Mark Savard at all. I'm just saying like Krejci's absence was too much to overcome. And that was only his like second or third season in the league. So um, his role in Boston Bruins history is that of a guy who's top 10 in a lot of categories. And he's a, he's a first line center on a championship team. And um, what's even more impressive is his offensive numbers. Cause if you look at his, his numbers, like he, he had 73 points a couple times around there. Um, yeah. He was never a guy in any given year where you were like, yeah, he's like a top 20 or 30 forward in the league. Um, he was never a point per game guy in the league. So league wide, he just never got the recognition you mentioned Bridget, but he also never had a stretch of time outside of 2010 to 2013 like where he had Horton and Lucic for the majority of that he always had a a role dex of, of wingers um you know Bergeron had like 6 years with Krejci with uh with Pasternak on his wing with Marshan um Krejci never really had that he always had to make do with what he had and i think that he oftentimes had to play second fiddle especially like between like 2014 to 20 23 to Bergeron and and um you just wonder what he could have put up offensively if he had more of a passionate presence a lot more or something like that like a true sniper or a true goal scorer with them um he never really had that for the majority of his career so um his his his, his offensive numbers may have may have suffered because of that but definitely a Bruins Hall of Famer and uh yes his numbers should go up in the rafters as well yeah you mentioned that quick development curve and Really, like even just in one year from 0708 to 0809, 0708, he has 27 points in those 56 games, uh, you know, less than half a point a game. 0809, 73 points in 82 games, which and led the NHL in plus minus plus 37. Um, as a third 70... liner that year, as a third liner that year with, with, yeah, uh, with Wheeler and Ryder, sort of. Uh, we've talked about this before, like. I do think like at times that line was really no matter where it was listed was the second line. Um, you know, Bergeron was coming back from the concussion, suffered another concussion. It certainly offensively had a down year by his standards. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a huge jump and that's 73 points that stood as his career high until he matched it 10 years later in 2018, 19. And I feel like that 2018, 19 season is, 
maybe is most impressive. Um, so I was looking this up before, and because I remember like writing about this at the time, but it's crazy what he did with the revolving door of wingers he had that year. 1819, David Krejci finished sixth in the NHL in assists per 60 minutes at five on five. The five players in front of him were Nikita Kucherov, Mitch Marner, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Sidney Crosby, and Artemi Panarin. Right behind him was Evgeny Malkin and Connor McDavid. And he played with eight, he played at least 10 minutes of five on five with 18 different wingers that year. 18. Like it's insane. You guys, you guys want this list? Want to hear yeah. some of these fun names? Yeah, go for Wait, it. Scott, Scott, can you can you say that again? He played what with eighteen different what? Ten minutes or more. At, at least ten minutes five. of five on five action. Uh, by with comparison, Patrice Bergeron played with seven that year. Krejci this last year played with eight. So we're talking like more than double the number of wingers as what would be normal, I guess. Um. But yeah, in t- in order of uh, how much ice time he played with them, Jake DeBrusque, David Pasternak, you know, had some time, but it was still only like even with Pasternak, it was three hundred out of nearly twelve hundred minutes. Um, Danton Heinen, Joakim Nordstrom, Brad Marchand, and that's because Bergeron missed some time that season. Uh, Peter Solarik, I am amazed he played one hundred sixty six minutes with Peter Solarik. I did not even remember that Peter Solarik spent that much time in the NHL that season. Like, that's insane. David Backus, Carson Kuhlman, Charlie Coyle bumped over to the the wing at at times. Ryan Donato, Marcus Johansson, Chris Wagner, Anders Bjork, Sean Corrali, Jacob Forsbacher-Carlson, Paul Carey, Lee Stempniak, and Nolachari. (laughs) What? There's a lot of names there that, um, you know, whatever happened to JFK, I don't think he ever came back and played in the NHL after that. Um, for his Baca Carlson, I'm talking about, but, um, wow. That was one season. Yeah. Yeah. One year. Did you say 18, 19 or 17, 18, 18, 19. Lee Stepniak was on the team in 18, 19. Yep. He played. What? <laughs> I know. Right. I thought I thought he, that was like the two years prior, but when they missed the playoffs, he was on the team at the deadline. I'm confused. Regardless, Stephen, uh, Stephen yeah, he, played two, he played two games that season. I think, if I remember correctly, I think that was like a situation where they brought him in like on a tryout, and he practiced with them a little bit. And I'm there must have been an injury situation, but he came in, played a couple games, apparently on a line with David Krejci. So. Uh, the Peter Solarik numbers must that's not is that counting or discounting like mini hockey in the hotel on road trips because <laughs> I don't think they played 166 minutes together. <laughs> but he was, whatever happened to that five guy, he was five mini hockey though, Brian. It was five on five. Yeah, P- Peter yeah, Solarik played 20 games that season in the banquet hall down downstairs next to the the continental breakfast. Um, <laughs> he wasn't bad for a couple of games. I don't. He just kind of like I I just don't think he had the speed at, at the NHL level. I guess because he. He was okay at times, but yeah, that's, but yeah, that just illustrates the point. Like create, you just like, he was just constantly trying to make, 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 um, you know, chicken soup out of chicken shit. Right. And for a lot of his career and like, even, I mean, even the Horton Lucci's connection, like the, the, like when Savard was healthy, 
Savard was between Lucic and Horton that, that 2010-11 season. When he went down for good, then Krejci assumed that line. And then, you know, 2012-2013, you had a half season because of the lockout. So even, even the time where he had set line mates for like three years, it was kind of like dependent on a lockout and if was Savard healthy and whatnot. Um, and then he had a Ginla for Horton in 13-14. And then after that, it was just, I mean, Scott just mentioned 18 guys in one season. Krejci must, I mean, the list is, I mean, from like fifth from from 2015 to 2017 18 the list was so like so random i mean you got i mean you had you had the seth griffiths of the world you had the mapaleskis i'm sure jimmy hayes got a crack with creche at one point i mean like i mean ryan spooner frank vetrano um yeah i'm it just so and so yeah and he still had a, a a franchise hall of fame career with all that said so uh to me he's a no-brainer um he'll be he'll be missed but definitely you know same thing with bergeron like just been an absolute pleasure to watch him i think with Krejci, we you know he missed last year by going back to czechia so you know we're a little bit more um ready for this one i guess but uh yeah bridget you mentioned end of an era um even though Lucic coming back makes us want to continue the era for one more year, but it's, it, it is the end of an era. I mean, Martian is the last, the last one remaining. Lucic comes back for a flash in the pan, but it's, it's time for the kids to, to take over now. And, and it's going to be fun to watch. Hopefully yeah. they can, they can succeed. And one other thing I was going to mention crazy too, is stepping up in the playoffs right up till the end, literally till the end, even as banged up as he was, this past postseason, missing a couple of games in that series. Game seven, Bruins are down two nothing. Krejci scores. Krejci assists on Bertuzzi's goal to tie the game. Krejci assists on Pasternak's goal to put them ahead in the third period. You know, goes out with a goal and two assists in game seven, and we all feel like you know that was a third period lead they should have hung on to, and obviously they they didn't, and they end up losing in overtime, but. Had they held on, that's like yet another page in the in the playoff crutch story um, that, you know, unfortunately gets largely forgotten now. But, you know, the, the story, if, you know, banged up Krejci comes back and has three points in game seven to lead, lead a comeback win. Like, that, you know, we were less than a minute from that happening. Yeah, in, in, in terms of the, the, like, playoff stats that you mentioned, I saw NHL PR – um, has an Instagram. They put up a few of the like standout stats from Krejci's career, and one of them was um, in 12 career game sevens, he has one goal and 12 assists for 13 points. That I mean, that's incredible. Um, and he so he has more than a, a point per game in game sevens, uh, and he's the only player in NHL history with more. The only player in NHL history uh, besides Justin Williams to have 13 or more points in game sevens um and uh, some of the stats i was mentioning earlier as well um that he finished in the top 10 all-time bruins list was uh fifth in most games fifth in assists ninth in points and tied for sixth in overtime goals so i he's you're you're talking about it's not not really a, a surprise about the assists he's always been a really great setup guy um but also overtime goals, that's that's talking about him being clutch in situation where you needed him to be, just like we were mentioning in the playoffs. Absolutely. And, you know, we were just talking about the role decks of wingers that he had throughout his career. And, you know, that was even evident early on. And, and, and 
you talk about one thing that you just appreciate from him was his ability to do whatever was asked of him, play with whoever he was asked to play with. And I'm sure there were times where he, he, he wanted to be playing with the top wingers on the team. And sometimes those guys went to Bergeron, but you think back to 2011 and not only were the Bruins down Mark Savard uh, as their number one center. So Krejci already assumed that role and you go into the, the finals and you go down 2-0 to Vancouver you start game three, it's already an uphill climb. You go down Nathan Horton. So as the Bruins' number one center, he on the fly had to adjust to now Rich Peverly being on his wing. And a ton of credit goes to Lucic and a ton of credit goes to Peverly for stepping up. But David Krejci showed even back then the ability to just on the fly work with whatever he was given and and, and make it work. And, and you know, that, that, three, that, that, that trio was great. I mean, like, like, Lucic, Peverly, and Krejci, they did what they had to do, especially they were big in game – they were bit really big in game five, uh, game four, um, getting the Bruins going, um, and it just worked. And, and so he just was a – he was he was like water. He just – whatever whatever was asked of him, whatever situation, he just kind of went with the flow and, and, and excelled. Um, I have a favorite David Krejci memory, um, and I'm sure maybe you guys share this. So if it's the same memory, maybe you can just talk to the listeners about you know your memory of this play. And if you have a different memory, feel free to, to share that as well. And maybe it's a memory from being in the locker room. But um, I remember clear as day watching um, Game 7 versus Tampa Bay and 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 the, the ultimate go-ahead goal. And I just remember game-winning goal. That entire game, it was like you just knew watching it that whoever scored, <laughs> the later the game went, even if it was the second period, like you just knew – but the later the game went, you knew who was, whoever got that first goal was going to win the game. And when when Krejci scored in overtime, uh, I'm sorry, the third period on the pass from uh, or Horton scores on the pass from Krejci, um, it was just like you just kind of you were like, wow, I think the like the Bruins are going to go to the Cup Finals here. Like this is crazy. And of course, the last seven minutes was like agony getting there. But you know the 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 pat the saucer pass to. To, to Nathan Horton on the, on the right post back door to give the Bruins the one nothing lead in game seven against Tampa was just, that's going to be my number one David Krejci memory. Um, and I remember watching it uh, in my house and I remember where it was and what I was thinking and the butterflies I had. And I was like, fuck these. So, so part of my language, I try not to swear too much on this, but uh, I was like, this is they're, 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 they're going to the cup finals. And, and uh, that's my favorite Krejci memory. So I don't know if you guys share that memory or if there's a different one as well. Yeah, that that's number one for me for sure. And I was I was there. I was an intern at WEI at the time, but I was covering all the Bruins home games. Um, Scott, with, you old. That's right. With a with <laughs> DJ Bean and Mike Petralia at the time, and uh, where they had like the way they set up the press box for playoffs back then, it used to wrap all the ways around. There's so many seats it would wrap all the ways around. So this was in the pre you know, rafters or whatever they call those seats up there. Now, like they, they didn't put fans up there for the playoffs. And I happened to be right behind the Bruins goal, looking down ice at that play developing into the Tampa zone. So, you know, starts with great patient breakout pass from Andrew Ferentz. Uh, And then just like perfectly encapsulates everything about Krejci, the way he sets it up where it's, you know, he's he's not moving at that top speed. He's, he kind of just glides into the offensive zone, finds the open space, pulls up, waits for Horton to put his stick down, and 
perfect pass for the tap in. And it was just like, you know, I, I think that breakout in part is, is a set play to combat that one, three, one neutral zone trap that Tampa, you know, famously had under Guy Boucher at that time. But crazy's part of it is improvisation as much as anything. It's just, he sees a little bit of open space. He skates into it and takes a look around and, you know, Horton's obviously going on the net like like he's supposed to be on that play and Krejci just waits for it to open up and makes the pass and it's like yeah it was just it was just kind of like that the perfect uh you know patience and in playmaking that we saw from him so often and obviously that there were so many big goals during that that run that you could pick out but um that's very close to if not at the top of the list yeah, I remember where I was for that, too. I was actually watching the game up in New Hampshire, um, and I was watching it with some of my family members. And uh, that is one of the most memorable games in general, which is funny because it only had the one goal. But it felt like the whole time, you knew from the beginning, like you said, Brian, it was just going to be a one-goal game. It was That was the only one that was coming, so whoever got it. Um, and that, even though you're – it's not your high scoring game. It's not, it's not, it was still one of the most dramatic games and so huge uh, for that season. So I, I do remember that play and I'm not sure. I, I would have to say that probably is mine as well, but he's had so many good playoff performances. I enjoyed, and this isn't a specific play, but I really enjoyed the time that I, we got to watch him play with Hall and Pasternak as a line. There were some stretches where they were they were very entertaining to watch. Um, and those were three guys that you're like, I don't know how we ever ended up getting to see these three guys on the same line. Because, I mean, wouldn't have thought Taylor Hall was necessarily going to be a Bruin. Um, but once you did see it, you're like, oh, I need to see more of this. And then when Krejci left for a season, I was like, well, darn, I wanted to watch more of that line. I wouldn't really get that much of it this year. Um, but in general, he has more of like a – it's more more what the way I remember him and think about him is just how he meshed and how he played with other players and made them look better. He made them look better. And also that he's so like the stereotypical like Boston Bruin mold is like a gritty, tough guy. And Krejci was the opposite of that, but he was perfect for for the team and um, kind of like a calming, steadying presence uh, is probably why he's had so, so much success with so many different line meets. You know, now that I think about it, as time goes on, you know, with this bridge, as you've mentioned, is kind of the end of an era officially. And so you you think back on the memories and also kind of, you know, it's easy to look about, look at how the Bruins, in my opinion, in, in, the, in the opinion of many, uh, I'm sure the players included, um, they at least left one cup on the table, um, but they had a crack at a couple more. But it makes you realize, like, Look, at least they got the one because you just realize how how hard it is. I mean, they it took you know it's just it's it's very difficult, and so you really appreciate that 2011 team. And I feel like a lot of people look back at the Montreal series because it's Montreal, the Philly series because it was revenge on Philly from the year before, and the Vancouver series because how much hatred grew in that series alone and how it was the classic East versus West Canadian city versus American city. It was a perfect Stanley cup final. But dare I say that that Tampa Bay team that year getting through them, like, I mean, that was a 
incredible series. And looking back now in retrospect, they may have been top to bottom the best team the Bruins faced because that, that Vancouver team, yeah, you had Ryan Kessler and the Sedins in their heyday, but I don't know. They like Tampa Bay had a young Steven Stamkos who had already established himself as a 60 goal scorer, I think, in the league. Uh, you had a young Victor Hedman. You had Marty St. Louis and Le Cavalier who could still play. Dwayne Rolson was lights out far better than Luongo was in their respective series against Boston. And there was a good supporting cast too. Like Ryan Malone was on Tampa. He was a good effective player back then. Teddy Purcell was good back then. Um, Sam, um, Simone Gagne, who was a Bruins killer was on that team. Um, you had, you had guys that could, that were feisty like Steve Downey and, and, um, uh, Nate Thompson, and they just, they were just, Eric Brewer was a good, solid defenseman. That Tampa Bay team, that Bruins team beating them in that series, I feel like is underrated. Not game seven. Game seven people talk about, but, and it was an unbelievable game, no penalties, but that Tampa Bay team may have been the best team the Bruins had to play top roster-wise in hindsight. Like at the time, I didn't realize how good Victor Hedman was back then. Now he's like one of the best defensemen the world has been for 10 years. So it's like, um, they were a great blend of youth in Stamkos and Hedman and then experience with St. Louis and Le Cavalier and Rolls and guys that have been there and done it before. And that Bruins team getting through that Tampa Bay team, I think is underrated. It was a great feat. And David Krejci had a hat trick in game six. The Bruins lost that game, but he had a hat trick in game six and his fingerprints were all over game seven. And so, yeah, Krejci was, you know, can't say enough good things about him as a player and a Bruin, but that Tampa Bay series, looking back, that team was really, really formidable. Yeah, and and just the swings that that series took, that like, not just from like one team winning to the other, but from high scoring to low scoring, like it was all over the place. And it was like every game felt unpredictable. Like Tam- Tampa scored five goals four times in that series. Like, like that's crazy it's crazy to do that and win a series um you know tim thomas had some excellent games and had some pretty rough games in that series um you know same with rollison on the other side like that that game two that the bruins already down one nothing and then they it's a six to five win and you get that four points from tyler sagan in the in the second period and he's only in there because bergeron's dealing with the concussion and sagan had to come in like yeah, that was it was a wild series, really start to finish. And then like it seemed like in the middle of the series, maybe they were figuring each other out. And then even game six, you get a five to four game. And then of course the the legendary one nothing game seven. Like it was yeah, that was one of the you know more fun series. And by the way, none of the games went to overtime, which is crazy. Like it's it's extremely memorable, and you didn't even have any overtime heroics, but just uh yeah, it was it was a very competitive series and one that, you know, it seemed like both teams kind of kept figuring different things out about each other and then having to solve and adjust and try different things. And it all kind of culminated in in that game seven. That was, you know, sort of like the, the perfect hockey game, like that, no penalties. And there were a lot of shots in that game, if I remember correctly. I, I was just going to pull up the box score. But I think like both teams were over 30 shots on goal or something like that like it you know like there were chances it wasn't like it was just like a boring dull game Mm. no it was a goalie game though like it was that's why you knew it was only going to be one goal like would probably decide it because it was like nobody can crack 
either of these goalies right now. And, was, and, yeah. and uh, in, in the final against Vancouver, everybody was on serve at that point, and Vancouver was the home team for game seven. So it was like, okay, every single game the home team's won. You got, now have to go win game seven on the road in Vancouver where you haven't won yet. And I remember that I think I was I was in school that day. I was in high school because I'm young, Scott. Um, <laughs> I was in high yeah, school. I was, I was in school, or actually, <laughs> I had technically graduated That's by that. Cool. I graduated that spring from college. Yeah, so I was in high school. I it was my letter night, like to get my my varsity jacket letter night. I couldn't have given two craps about that. I my parents were so mad at me. I wouldn't take pictures. I grabbed the jacket, didn't wait for the ceremony to finish and went home so that I could get ready for game seven because I didn't want to miss it. I was such a pain in the ass that day. My family's still mad at me about it, but I was like, I have, I can't, I have to go. I, I couldn't think about anything else the whole day. So I, I was like, thank you. Grab my varsity jacket, peace out. And I was really glad that it wasn't a, uh, a one nothing final for game seven of the Stanley Cup, though. Um, that game was actually enjoyable for Bruins fans because yeah. uh, the there wasn't a lot of uh, back and forth, like uh, there were lead changes and, and things like that. It was, it was actually an enjoyable game seven. Yeah, it, it really was. And, you know, one, one final thought for me is, um, and, and this comes to my mind because it's not just Krejci retiring as you, Bridget, you mentioned it. It's kind of, we're billing it as like, it's like the end of an era type thing. Right. And don't get me wrong. A Stanley cup championship is a Stanley cup championship. But one thing I really appreciate about that 2011 run is that it was everything you could possibly ask for in a Stanley cup run. Um, like Tampa Bay, you know, you, you, it wasn't like Tampa Bay winning the Stanley Cup in a bubble um, or the following year winning it where the Bell Center is empty and Tampa has fans. It wasn't like the Kings in 2012 where they just walked through everybody and there wasn't like a ton of like expe- you know suspense there. It wasn't even like Vegas this past year where it would, it, they weren't really challenged much, right? Um, like they, they, they go down to Montreal two games to none one of the greatest rivalries in sports. You have to go into Montreal, tie the series. They do so in overtime. Um, game five, double OT. Game seven, OT. And then the following series, you sweep Philly. You do what you couldn't do the year before, one of the most embarrassing losses in league history, Bruins history for sure. And you you put yourself in the same exact situation, up three, but this time you, you finish the job. Home ice was reversed. Tampa Bay, outstanding seven-game series. Vancouver, you go down again, two two games to none. Um, the hatred that boiled, and you win game seven for the Stanley Cup. Like, that run wasn't just a Stanley Cup run. And I'm not looking at this through Boston Bruins glasses. Like, that was an incredibly played, like, fi- like playoff run. There was drama. There was hatred. There was suspense. There was true, true moments of thinking the season was done, only to realize it wasn't. Um, and you just don't get that every year with a Stanley Cup champion. Um, oftentimes, it's just, you, just, you just don't. So I really respect that. And they didn't make it easy on themselves, but it really made for a memorable championship. And so, again, like end of an era, but that's that was just really special to watch, you know? Well, And, and while we're on 2011, uh, I wasn't there for this, but one of my favorite stories that has been told by other reporters, specifically uh, Steve Conroy, DJ Bean who was covering them for EI at the time, 
and Joe McDonald. Uh, I think they've all they've all told a story. And the Bruins during the Montreal series in the first round actually stayed in Lake Placid in upstate New York um, because there's like a long gap between games. It was like three days off or something. And I think it was between games three and four. And DJ, Steve, and Joe were like all in a bar, and a bunch of the Bruins ended up at the at the same bar, restaurant, whatever. And they said that, um, you know, like there was like a karaoke machine there and people put on different songs and whatever. And Krejci went over and put on Journeys Don't Stop Believing. And because the Bruins were still trailing in the series at that time. And I guess like when they asked him about it after, he like totally denied that there was any meaning to it. But it's just like, it's it's funny. Like it's one of those funny Krejci moments where, you know, we, we hear that all the time and we see it sometimes in the media um, that he can be funny, but then like, you won't even take credit for it. You know, he won't even, uh, cause like they were all, you know, the way they tell us like, they'll be like, well, we have our, our lead. If they win the Stanley cup, like they were trailing Montreal and Krejci put on don't stop believing. And like, he just, he refused to even like acknowledge that it had happened or that it was intentional or anything. Well, yeah, he didn't like to confirm much <laughs> to us. <laughs> he mentioned it in his statement that the Bruins put up and also kind of joked about it in his press conference today. Like, I know you guys, like, I, I know, you know, I don't like to talk much, but. Yeah. And that, and that's like, that's, that's another big thing. Like going forward, it's not just the on ice presence. It's the off ice presence. This, this locker room is going to, they're going to miss Bergeron's leadership and calmness and, 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 you know, in the exit interviews, like the players like they did with Bergeron, they had a little video wishing Krejci farewell and whatnot. And, you know, they all, they all talk about like how funny he is. And so there's an all nice difference next year for this team to overcome. And there's a, there's a locker room um, difference. There's a change in, I mean, half the team is gone. Half the locker room is gone from, from the postseason. So it really does come down to Bergeron, um, Marchand and Pasternak. And McAvoy, and I do think that's a big reason why Lucic is back, right? Like to to kind of remind this younger generation of like what it means to be a Bruin, because Lucic he hasn't been here for eight years, but he knows what it means to be a Bruin, and I think that he's here to help um, Marshand in a leadership role in the locker room. And um, but in any event, um, a lot to look forward to, a lot of change. Um, change is exciting. It's, there's going to be a lot. There's going to be no shortage of things to write about for for you, Scott, and, and Bridget, you as well, uh, when you're not producing Red Sox games. So, um, or maybe while you're producing Red Sox games. <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell them about my multitasking skills. <laughs> so, um, in any event, yeah, David Krejci retires from the NHL. Um, I don't know if you guys mentioned it, but he mentioned that he's not coming back to the NHL. Um, he might return after January to play overseas in, in, in Czechia for the for the world championships but that's about it if he even does that so he's he's no longer a Bruin um he's done uh, and it's and it's time for the Bruins to to welcome in this new era and it's going to be a transition but we'll be here for it um congrats to create you on the career Bridget and Scott any final comments before we wrap this one up no just that I uh really enjoyed watching Krejci play you know I think Bridget like you you were saying earlier how you know maybe some fans maybe didn't totally appreciate the way he played. I mean, to me, he was one of the most fun Bruins to watch play. Like just the, the way he saw the ice, the passes he made, like it's, you know, I'm definitely going to miss, miss watching that. Cause he, he was unique. Like, you know, 
in a league that kept getting faster, he continued to slow the game down when the puck was on his stick and just um, just have the perfect amount of patience, like know how to still protect the puck, even, you know, even if he's, even if guys around him are moving faster and it, I found that a, a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. And, and not to show my bias completely, but uh, I think I started really caring more about the team uh, once Krejci started his career because I really enjoyed watching him play. I became more and more invested following him. And then that snowballed into, you know, following the team and then the NHL. And then here we are now. So uh, Krejci, I, without Krejci being on the Bruins, Maybe I'm not even in this business. I don't even know. Like, that's the thing. It's like I was a big Sidney Crosby fan when I first got into hockey and David Krejci fan. And that has taken me from just being, you know, a a teenager or, you know, in middle school or whatever it was um, to now where I'm an NHL reporter and I'm a hockey broadcaster. And so, you know, in like a very long term way, he has definitely impacted my life and even my career decisions. So uh, I guess that's how I'd like to wrap it up. Well said. I'm glad that, uh, you know, he was he had that impact on you, Bridget, and I'm sure he impacted a lot of uh, hockey fans and hockey players and the way he played and stuff. So with that said, um, we're about five weeks away from uh, preseason hockey. So we are getting there slowly but surely. And. Bridget, Scott, myself will be here the entire time throughout the offseason um, doing the podcast as always. And um, that wraps up this episode. So thank you all for listening and we will talk to you very soon.